so um, came to church one day, and there was a lady sitting in my seat. You know? I mean, she's a nice person. Don't get me wrong. She's a nice person. You know? Um, she's a good friend. Um, and I can easily just sit somewhere else. I can easily just maybe sit on the other side, you know? Um, but, you know, she sat in my seat. You know, when you come in and you kind of look to the left in the front row, where I always usually sit. Um, I like it because it's in the front and it's not distracting. A lot of, uh, I know a lot of the nosebleed seaters back there. You know, you guys have to work extra hard. You know why? Because when you're listening to the word or worshiping, things happen in front of you. And guess what? Sometimes it grabs your attention. And sometimes you miss a word that I might say because somebody says something or somebody's moving around, this and that, and things happen. I mean, praise God you could watch it again later. But that wasn't always the case. So I like being in the front because I have ADHD and I can't stay still and everything distracts me. So I have to sit in the front. But, um, you know, it's a good, comfortable seat, you know, against the wall there. Um, but she took it. But I'm not going to raise a fuss. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I mean, it's just a seat, right? It's just a seat. It's not really important. You know, it actually happened about three or four months ago. But I'm, I'm not going to hold it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to hold it in forever. You know, I'm not going to keep, you know, I'm not going to just, you know, never forgive her about it. You know, but you know what? I just don't know why she took my seat. I mean, there were so many other seats in the church. Why did she have to take my seat? It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I guess I just have to get to church two hours earlier. And if I do that, then I'm guaranteed to get my seat. But why should I have to go so early to get the seat that I want? The seat that is rightfully mine. The seat that I have claimed. <laughs> you know, this is how the great social injustices begin. This is how revolutions start. Someone took my seat. No seat is safe. When would it end? First is a seat, then is a parking space. Well, you we can't even use parking space. None of us got parking spaces. None of us got it. I think we're about to start double parking across all Front Street. <laughs> and we'll leave the church number on it, and they'll just call us when somebody got to come out. <laughs> um, no seat is safe. No parking spot is safe. Where will it end? Before you know it, the world will be in shambles. But hey, hey, I didn't really mind that she took my seat. You know, the funny thing is that this is just a joke, right? Right? <laughs> or, or is it? If you've been in church long enough, you know that a seat can be a pretty important thing. You already know. I mean, I know where people sit. I know. You know, and it's okay to have a favorite spot. It's okay. But what happens when your favorite spot is taken and you have to change seats? Today, sermon title is called Change. 
change. Change. The reality of change is that people just don't like it. We just don't like it. And today's sermon will be all about it. (laughs) Do we know that God is an agent of change? Did we know that? God is an agent of change. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. And the word of God says, for I am about to do something new. I'm about to change something. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Well, I I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. In the dry wasteland. In order for God to fulfill that promise, right, in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, he has to bring about change. In order to fulfill that promise, some things need to change. The obvious things need to change is that all of a sudden there's a road in the wilderness and there's a river in the desert. That's definitely a change. Change has to happen for God to fulfill his word at times. And it's pretty safe to say pretty much all the time. (laughs) Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let me put this here so I don't talk too long. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. What's another word for transform? Oh, change, change. That's good. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Change. We serve a God that is into transformation, a God that enjoys change, right? When he gets a hold of your life, he changes it. Do you, do you know that? There are some of us sitting here today that are like, oh, oh I know he changed me. When God gets a hold of your church, he changes it. God likes to do change. He changes stuff. I mean, he's done some impossible changes if you read the Bible. He's changed the way rivers flow. I mean, that's, can, can any of us do that? He changed water into wine. He changed water into blood. He changed the way the ecosystem was, and all of a sudden, a bunch of locusts just showed up, and frogs just showed up, and I mean, and, and, and the, 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 the sun stayed up. I mean, like, he changed the way the earth must have rotated for the sun to stay up. Do you understand that our God is a God of change? He's an agent of change and continues to change things in our lives and in our world and in our church. But the problem is, the problem is, let's say it together, us. No, nobody said it, to, nobody said it together. All right, let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Us. 
We are the problem. Because we find change hard. We find change difficult. We find change threatening. We find change uncomfortable. Dr. James Simpson. This, I, I, I didn't know who he was until I read this article, right? But apparently he's the doctor that introduced chloroform for the use of anesthesia. So before anesthesia, you know, they didn't really have the best, and it would be painful surgeries and painful care. He said, hey, let's use chlorophyll and some of the components of chlorophyll, and we can mix it all up, and we can create something that will numb the body. And guess what? Instead of people saying, whoa, that's awesome, the whole medical field said, are you crazy? There's no way you can do that. You shouldn't. We've never done it like that before. And he fought and he fought. And how many of us that have ever had anesthesia can be grateful that he figured that out? Right? Dr. Joseph Lister, another doctor, struggled with the medical world. The medical world can be just as stubborn as the church sometimes. (laughs) So... So uh, he, he, he struggled to introduce, he struggled to introduce antiseptics into, into the mix, you know, to prevent infections, you know, during surgeries and things like that. They were like, well, what are you doing? We don't use that. No, we, we do it this way. And he had to fight. And many of us are grateful that they figured it out and that they were able to change and adapt and begin to use it. Copernicus was forced to retract his belief that the earth went around the sun. Does the earth go around the sun? I mean, we know this now, right? But he mentioned it a lot earlier. And they said, that's impossible. That's not what we believe. That's not what we already have planned out. You're telling us to change what we've always known. We can't do that. Naturally, it seems as if people are resistant to change. And the reality is that naturally we all are. I mean, is there anybody in here that loves to change things? You don't love it, but you do like something new every once in a while. I got you. I got you. We got to live like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. We, we, we don't like change. We're resistant to change, naturally resistant to change, and yet change is something that's going to happen anyway. The funny thing is that none of us like change, but that's the thing that's guaranteed to happen in your life. It's guaranteed. You could take that to the bank. That's what they used to say. We could bring back a couple sayings. It's not bad. God has built change into our natural existence. In December, January, February, what season is it? Winter. Then all of a sudden comes, and then comes, and then comes. Oh, you guys all went to school? We have changes in the season. We have changes in our weather. We have changes, you know, in our world. It's a part of our existence. 
We have changes in us. No matter how many vitamins you take, no matter how many surgeries you go get, no matter how much Botox, whatever the case may be, guess what? A 70-year-old and an 18-year-old will look different. I don't look like my 18-year-old Vince. Almost? Almost? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, babe. You too, you too. But the reality is we go back, we look at our pictures when we were young, when we were kids, none of us are the same. We've all changed. Some of us, our hair color has changed. Some of us, you know, uh, our, our, our waist size has changed. You know, it just, it just happens. It's happened. It's built into us that we change, no matter how hard you try. You know, there was a time that people would stay at a job for like 20 to 25, 30 years. They would go to school. They would get a job, and they would commit to this company for 20, 30 years. Now, people change jobs like they change underwear. It's like, you know, you're at one job. <laughs> I'm sorry, is that bad? I mean, it's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. I mean, you know, you get tired of this, you get tired of that. I mean, there's more options, you know. There's, there, you know, listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't knock it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying things changed. Things changed. And guess what? Sometimes you have to change jobs to move up in your career. Sometimes you have to change jobs to get opportunities that you would have not gotten in the current place. Because back then, people, well, I can't speak for people, but we just don't want to conform. Sometimes it's easy to get comfortable and say, you know what, I'm good with this, and I don't ever want to make it, you know, do anything else. But you know, you know what? You can't conform to that. If, listen, you have to keep, um, okay, well, we're not talking about jobs here. But you guys get my point. It's changed. Things have changed. 64.2 zeta, zettabytes. Does anybody know what that is? Dennis, do you know what that is? Zettabytes, 64.2 zettabytes. <laughs> That's the volume of data, data, data that was created in 2020. Now, if you, I, don't know, I don't know what zettabytes were, right? So I had to like Google it. And, and what it is, is this. It's, um, um, <gasps> I didn't write it down. Okay, all right. One zettabyte was like a billion terabytes. Okay? It was something like that. It comes after gigabytes. Like, I think it's the gigabyte. Dennis can give that class later. <laughs> um, all I know is that it's a huge amount of information that was created and generated in one year. Do you know that that means that a lot of things have changed in one year? There are a lot of new procedures. There are a lot of new information. There are a lot of new forms, TPS reports. All right, you go. You saw Office Space. You saw Office Space. You saw. Listen, there's a lot of new things, new rules, new ideas. 
Our world in just one year, in just one year, such a massive amount of data was created that it includes all, all, all sorts of changes. We're getting somewhere. I'm going to drill this change thing in your head first. All this change brings feelings of uncertainty. It brings feelings of, it, it can bring fear because things start to seem like they're spinning out of control. Why? Because change is changing what was always controlled, right? It was always like this, always like this. This is all I ever knew. This is all I was ever taught. Wait a minute, there's something new. No, 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 wait a minute. You're gonna mess up my whole thing I got going on right now. It's spinning out of control and we feel this way because money, much of the time, you have no control over change. We feel scared because the reality is there's pretty much nothing we can do about it. Things change. Did you know that the church has a history of resisting change? We're going to look at the early church, right? They found it difficult to adapt to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I want to I read first of, um, in book of Acts chapter 1. Verse 8 it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what happens is this. We read back in the book of Mark and Matthew, Jesus, he gives his disciples his great commission. He's like, I want you to guys go out into the world making disciples of the nations. Like he's, he's telling them what to do. Like, you know, you know he's giving them a plan. Then back, then we go to Acts 1, 8, and this is where Jesus is telling them that they're going to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that they can do what he's already told them to do in the first place. We're we, we on track, right? He says, go out and fulfill that mission. Locally, Jerusalem, Judea, nationally, and Samaria, internationally. He's given them a map. We look to the next chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and here we see and we read, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Praise God! What Jesus said he would do, he did. The Holy Spirit came down. They, they, they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and they are empowered now to go fulfill the mission. Did they do it? Well, not, not the way exactly Christ had mapped it out for them. Not right away. You see, because if, uh, if, we, if we read chapter 2, they're, they're still in Jerusalem. If you read chapter 3, they're still in Jerusalem. If you read chapter 4, they're still in? Oh, if you read chapter 5, they're still in? Chapter 6, they're still in? Yes. Chapter 7, they're still in Jerusalem. And it wasn't until chapter 8. It wasn't until chapter 8 that something happened. Let's read. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, a great persecution arose against the church. 
And then it was then that many of the church scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Mm. Finally, they were starting to be obedient to the mission. They started to go out. But guess what? They didn't do it by choice. They didn't, they didn't decide, like, wake up in the morning, like, you know what? I think it's time we obey what God wanted us to do. I don't think it's time. I, I think it's time that we get our bags and that we leave Jerusalem, even though we're comfortable, even though we already know everybody here, even though this is where we grew up. And, and it's like, you know what? Let's get our bags and go somewhere where nobody knows us, do things that we've never done before, say things that perhaps we've never said before because this is all new to us. Who wakes up and decides that? I mean, we have missionaries around the world that at one point made that decision, right? But all of us are here right now. And many of us, and when I say us, I mean the church body, the body of Christ gets comfortable in Jerusalem. We, everything they needed was in Jerusalem. So why leave? Why get uncomfortable? Oh, I mean, there is a simple, small fact that Jesus did say, go out. Go out. Make disciples of those, you know, of the nations. It wasn't until this happened, so they didn't do it by their own will. Something drastic had to happen, and many times there are drastic things that have to happen in our lives for there to be change or for you to accept the change. But we can't celebrate too quickly. Because uh, they still didn't get with the program. <laughs> they were preaching. They went out to Judea and Samaria, and they began preaching to all the Jews and the Samarians. All the Jews and Samarians, they're, they're doing it, right? They're doing it. What about the Gentiles? Why don't, why don't you preach to them? Who's, in, who's on Bible study on Thursday nights? We talk, we're talking about this, right? We talked about this last week. What about the Gentiles? Don't they know that Jesus wants them to preach to the Gentiles too? I mean, maybe they, maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't know that Jesus wanted to include the Gentiles too. You know what I mean? Because, you know, that would be change. That would mean that they would have to change the way they were to then preach to the Gentiles. You know, but, but they do know because he was clear about it in his word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Mark 16, 15, oh, oh, yeah, I could read. <laughs> Whosoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Mark 16, 15 says, he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. The gospel was never just for the Jews. But people find it hard to change. Jews and Gentiles mix? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't go to Gentiles' houses. I don't, I, don't, I don't eat with them. I don't talk with them. I don't walk with them. No, so not me. This is what we read about in last week's Bible study, that the cross broke the walls of separation from the Jews and the Gentiles. We have to understand that. It's important we know that. That the gospel is for all people, for the world, not just for the Jews. It wasn't until Acts 10 
Man, when did God, Jesus tell him in Acts 1? It's not until Acts 10. Let's read it. Acts 10, 9 to 16. That they began to rethink their theology to come into alignment with God's theology. The next, so reading 9 to 16. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. And the voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Let's think about something. Let's think about this for a moment. God tells Peter to do something, and Peter tells God no. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is, this, is there something wrong with that? Something off with this? He says no. Peter's traditions and his culture and his way of life have gotten such a hold on him that when God has specifically asked him to do something, he tells God no. Y'all not, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. You guys are not understanding how strong of a traditional um, influence it had on Peter. God was speaking to him directly. Directly. It can't get any clearer than this. And yet he tells God, no, because of my traditions. But you, you, no, no, I can't change God. I can't do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I've never broken the Jewish laws. This is how you, I've, I've always been. And God's like, I'm telling you to do this. I'm telling you to do this. But he was so wrapped up, so stuck on the past, stuck on tradition, stuck on all these laws, right? Well, not that they're bad, but. But I mean, so, hey, if there's a law and all of a sudden God comes and says, hey, do this, I'm like, all right, God. I, I know that one time long ago you may have said this, but if you're telling me to do this right now, I'll do this right now. Are we living our lives that when God says do, we say okay or we say, nah, man, I can't do that, my bad? Because God is telling a bunch of us, because I've been hearing testimony, I've been hearing y'all speak, y'all talk to me, and I'm hearing God's is definitely trying to tell you guys something. God is speaking. He is speaking to his church. Many of you have heard the voice of God. Many of you are like, hey, I don't know, I feel like God is, God is doing this and God is doing that, blah, blah. It's just... Are any of us guilty of telling God No. Because it's different. Because it means I have to change. Because it means I have to be uncomfortable. It means that I don't know what I'm getting into. 
It means that I've never been there. I've never done that. I've never spoken to some. I mean, there's, we can go down the whole list of reasons why we don't want to do it. What happens next to Peter? There's a knock at the door. And those messengers have gotten to the door and say, hey, we got to take you to Cornelius' house. Now, Cornelius is a Roman centurion in the army, of, you know, in the Roman army. It makes him a Gentile. Gentile. Not only does he have to go speak to Cornelius, but Cornelius is there squad deep. That's the third time we use that right to word today. He's there like in full. I mean, it's just it's him, his family, his friends. So now there's a group of Gentiles. And Peter is there to bring the message of the gospel. And so he's doing it. And the funny thing is, if you kind of read it, it almost seems like, you know, I mean, he's, he's doing it. But I don't think he, like he really wanted to do it. And the, way, the reason why I feel this way sometimes is because if you keep reading, it says that, it says, it says let's read it, let's read it here. Um, it says that if you keep reading the, the chapter that all of a sudden, as he's preaching the message of the gospel, suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up and everyone is filled with the Spirit and they start to speak in tongues. These Gentiles, right? At this moment, Peter looks at the guys that were with him, the other Jews, and he says, how could, how could we not baptize them in water if, if, if God has allowed them to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So at that moment, just that conversation was, I knew there must have been some kind of internal struggle. Like him seeing all this, I'm like, man, this is, I guess I, guess I do got to baptize them in water. I, I, guess, I, I guess it's not just for us. What Peter does is he goes back to Jerusalem and he finds, you know, he, he goes back to, to everyone and he starts to tell them, look, this is what happened. The, the gospel isn't just for us. God filled, Jesus, he, the Holy Spirit filled these Gentiles and they started speaking in tongues and they were empowered. I mean, it was, and he's starting to tell them this and all this. And it wasn't until then that they finally began to realize <laughs> that God has granted salvation to the Gentiles as well. And that was in Acts 11. You know, a chapter really isn't a day or two. I mean, we don't, there's, there's some period of time that goes on. All I know is that from chapter 1 to chapter 11, that's a big chunk of time to finally accept the change, to finally accept the guidance and the direction that Jesus had told them to do from the first place, in the first place. They had, they, it took so long because they found change difficult. 1517, Martin Luther. 1517, Martin Luther, um, he, he preached that the just should live by faith and not by works, right? When he started to preach this, this was, this was different at the time. And so what happened was him and his followers were persecuted. Along came the Anabaptist, right? And they believed that you had to take another step after just committing your life to Christ. They said that you had to be baptized in water. And you know how some responded to that? They were like, oh, you want to get baptized in water? Okay, come here. Come here. We'll baptize you in water. And many of them were drowned. 
Then came the Pentecostal outpouring, revival in Azusa Street. Woo! Praise the Lord. But then, but then guess what? There were a group of Baptists that were a part of that, and they got kicked out of their church because they spoke in tongues. I mean, we, I'm just picking three. We can, we can spend an entire course studying the changes that happened through, throughout Christianity and the effects of those changes, good and bad. But the reality is that there's change and there will always be change. The church has always found it difficult to change. I don't know what God's move, next move is going to be. I, I, I don't know. I can't stand up here and say, you know what? God says we're going to do this, 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 and this. I, I'm not saying that right now. I, I just don't know what his next move is going to be. But I do know that we need to have an open heart and be willing to change and to submit to whatever God wants to do. It's important. It's important that the changes God wants to bring are received. And, the, and I have to say that God wants to bring. And that's why we all need to continue praying as a church family. Are you ready for what God wants to do in our church? Are you ready for change? Or would you be a resistor? I want to talk about something that happened. Real life stories, right? So Camille, many of you guys don't know that... Um, Camille's grandfather was, uh, I mean, I know she doesn't like me talking about it too much, but Camille's grandfather was an amazing man. I mean, I don't, we lost count of how many churches he planted, how many uh, churches he pastored, um, some of the things that he's done. He, he, he was uh, good friends with, um, if some of you guys know Vilma Diaz, with her father. They were very good friends in New York, and they were almost like uh, uh, revolutionists at the time. They were way ahead of their time um, for the crowd they kept. And um, to give you an example, he started a church in 1960. In 1960, he started a church called Encuentro con Dios. It's called Encounter with God. 1960. And since 1960, um, They've had a handful of pastors, so they've had changing in leadership. They've had changes in location. They've had changes in methods. They have changes in, in, in the way they do outreach. They have changes in the way they've done their services. They have changes. The one thing that doesn't change is the Word of God. But... They've had changes. And to this day, it's a healthy, thriving church in Manhattan, New York City. 61 years later. He started another church right after that one called, well, not after that, but in the late 70s, there was another one he started called El Buen Camino. And these two are, are, are one of the two largest ones that are, are still in operation today from the ones that, that he planted. And they, too, experienced seasons of change. One of these churches, I forget which one, it was either Buen Camino or this and that. It, it, even the city 
came. I mean, first of all, they had no money for a building. And they gathered and, and, and they, they almost repeated what the book of Acts kind of did. Like everybody came and they, they sold something that they had. And they brought it together and they bought this, this, this small building in Manhattan that later, many years later, Columbia University comes in and says, listen, I know you guys have a church and all here, but we need this space. So we're going to buy a place for you. Just tell us where you want to go. They have an amazing facility today. Yo, if a hospital came, a college and university told us, like, where do you guys want to go? Oh, um, let's see. What do we want, guys? What do we want? Playground, you know, this and that, blah, blah. I mean, we, we, they gave them the list, and Columbia said, here you go. Changes. Changes. But, it was be, but, they, but they existed because they adapted to the changes. They continued to adapt to the changes. He, uh, Camille was, Camille was young and little. She remembers her grandfather sitting in the living room with one of those, like, old-time tape recorder type things. It was, it was, oh, the ones that go like this on the table. And he would record 30 minutes of preaching the gospel because he found a way to get 30 minutes of airtime on a secular radio station. And so he, he recorded 30 minutes and then he would turn it in. And the secular radio station started to see that their numbers would get higher during those 30 minutes. So they said, you know what? Let's give them 45 minutes. And then it went to an hour. And then he was like, well, you know what? Let me start bringing other pastors into this. Let me change some things. Let it not just be me. Let it be others bringing the gospel as well. And, be, and then all of a sudden, that small little 30 minutes ended up purchasing the station becoming uh, Radio Vision Cristiano, which is uh, Radio Vision, Christ, Christian Radio Vision, right? And it's not just a New York radio station. It's an international Christian radio station, which is still in existence today. And, you know, and, if, and, and Camille just telling me this, you know, those are the stories you're like, oh, yeah, really? Well, I just, I, we were at a, a, an event, and one of the owners of the radio station came up to us. And he, he recognized who, uh, who Camille was, and he says, hey, your grandfather, man, you know, and he started to speak of all the things, and I was standing there, I was like, oh, I guess it's true. <laughs> I guess it's true. One thing that, you know, I didn't, have an, I didn't have the privilege to meet her grandfather, but one thing that I see through the sermons that I've watched that are recorded through the message just from the stories Camille tells me, from the stories um, her aunt Evelyn tells me this man was a man that embraced the change. Like, it was like God would just say it. He didn't care if it would have never been done. He didn't care if he knew how to do it or not. He didn't care. I mean, he took his family to, I mean, he relocated his family like if they were in the military. Like every, every couple years, God said go here, God said go here, God said go here. Took him to the mission field, right? I'm on, I'm on, there's so many. I'm, I'm losing track of the stories. But he was open to change. And I see that one of the results of him being so open to the changes that God wanted to do was that his legacy to today is an amazing legacy. I, I just can't believe all the things that he's done. 
and that are still in operation. Leaders are agents of change. It's important that we understand this. If nothing changes, if nothing's supposed to change, we don't need no leaders. We don't need leaders. If everything's supposed to stay the same, we don't need leaders. God sent leaders to be the ones to hear what God wants to do. Okay, God wants to change this, and then leaders have the responsibility to do it, to carry it out. It's not easy. It's not, it's not easy, but it has, to done. it has to be done. Let's go back and read the verse that we opened up with, Isaiah 43, 19. It says, Behold, I will do a new thing. It shall spring forth. Um, you shall not know it. Uh, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rulers in the desert. Can you imagine if God wanted to fulfill this literally today? Can you imagine the opposition? If God wanted to do this today, if he wanted to fulfill this literally today, what would be the opposition he'd hear? He'd hear something like, um, you can't build roads in the wilderness, God. You know, it's bad for the environment. You, will, you know how many hundreds of species of animals you will displace by building a road in the wilderness? God, you can't do it. I'm not saying that animals are not important. I'm just saying this is to be the real, the real opposition that he would face. So many animals could die if you build a road in the wilderness. By the way, how much is this going to cost? Who's going to build this road? You mean you're going to put a river in the desert? Rivers don't, rivers don't flow through the desert. I mean, how are you going to get the water into the desert in the first place? How are you going to get it from drying up? I mean, I mean who, who's going to do all that labor? Change is difficult. And we will all find excuses of why we do not want to change. Change is difficult. But it's what leaders do. It's what leaders do. What if God wants to do a new thing here at Lighthouse? Would you allow your leaders to be agent of change? Would you allow your leaders to be agent of change? Some say this. Well, you know, if it's God, we'll all be behind it. If it's God, right, if it's God's will, everybody will be okay with it. We'll all be behind it. And guess what? That is so not true. That is so not true. I mean, it wasn't true for Moses when he was trying, God was telling him to go to the promised land. I mean, he sent 12, 12 spies over there. I mean, it was God. But 10 came back and said, no, 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 no. And there were two like, come on, let's do it, let's do it. Two said yes. Ten said no. He did not have the majority backing him, behind him, but yet it was still God. It wasn't true for Jesus. Did everybody gather behind Jesus, rally behind Jesus, say, yes, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah, this is truly God. Is that what we see? No, we didn't see that. We saw the Pharisees rise up against him. We say, oh, he's not the Messiah. Oh, this and that. Oh, let's kill him. Let's crucify him. But yet that was God. Wasn't true for the 12 apostles as they go preach the gospel. I mean, they, God wanted them to go preach the gospel. It was God's direction. Not everybody was behind them. There were many people that were against them. Many of them were martyred. It's not, definitely not true for Paul, who finds himself having to constantly defend himself to the churches that he writes to and bring correction. 
He's got to defend himself and bring correction to these churches. I mean, he's obviously being used by God, but not everybody's rallying behind him. It won't always be like that. Not everybody will always be backing something and then you can say, oh, well, it's God because everybody's into it. No. Many times, not everybody will be on board. But that is why it's important that you pray. I'm telling you, that's why it's important that you pray, that you pray, that you all pray, that you seek the Holy Spirit, that you seek his voice. Because when God begins to do the changes, you're going to hear him say, yo, this is me. This is me. In closing, in closing, a man had a two-story house, right? A man had a two-story house. And he hears a knock at the door. And Jesus opens it up. I mean, he opens the door and he sees Jesus like, oh, what's up, Jesus? How you doing? He's like, oh, you want to you wanna come in? I want to invite you into my home. And Jesus is like, well, that's why I'm here. And he says, listen, I got this bedroom on the second floor in the back. I want you to stay in there. And Jesus, because he's, you know, God, because he's a gentleman, he says, I'm not going to overstep any boundaries. I'm going to go where you allow me to be. And so he takes his room in the back on the second floor, you know, he unpacks his stuff, and it's nighttime, and they go to bed. The man is downstairs. He, the, the, the man whose house it is, he hears a knock at the door in the middle of the night. And he's like, who is in my house in the middle of the night? So he comes downstairs, and he cracks the door open, and the devil kicks the door in and says, what's up? I'm here. And he starts to wreak havoc, you know, uh, fighting with him and tempting him and all sorts of things. And it was a big struggle, and the man's like, Jesus, Jesus, I need your help. I need your help. Finally, after so much struggling and fighting, he manages to push the devil out finally. Next morning, Jesus comes down for breakfast. He says, where were you? He goes, oh, I'm only allowed to go where, I only go where I'm, where I'm told to be. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but you, you gave me, you know, this, this big house and you gave me this back room. So that's where you told me to be. That's where I was. I wasn't trying to get into nobody's business. <laughs> so he says, oh, man, you know what? You're right, Jesus. You know what? The whole floor is yours. The whole floor is yours. All second floor. That same night, he cracks the door open. Satan comes in again. Boom! And he starts wreaking havoc, you know, fighting with him, tempting him, all sorts of stuff. He's like, Jesus, help me. And Jesus doesn't respond. And then finally, the struggle, after the struggle, he's worn out. Finally, he closes the door. Next morning, he's like, Jesus, what happened? It happened again, and I called out to you, and you didn't help me. He says, I know, because you told me to stay on the second floor. I'm telling you, I'm not going to go where you don't want me to go. So he says, you know what? My bad. You're right. This whole house is yours. This whole house is yours, Jesus. They went to bed. It was a knock at the door. Jesus was like, I got it. I got it. And he swings the door wide open. Not no crack. He swings it wide open. He stands there. And Dev was like, oh, my bad. I think I got the wrong house. I got, I got, the, I got, I got the wrong house. 
Do you know that this story illustrates the need for us to fully yield to the Holy Spirit? And, it, and, it, and it, we have to yield to the Holy Spirit to bring about significant change in our lives. When we fail to surrender ourselves to Christ, when we fail to just give him all control, <laughs> then there's a, there's a very significant chance that uh, you'll be resistant to the change that he wants to do in your life. Much of the change happens when you surrender yourself to him in the first place. How do you expect him to change you if you're not surrendered to him? If you're still holding on to your ways, your wishes, your desires, your traditions, your rituals, if you still hold on to this, which by the way, it's nothing bad having some traditions. But your traditions cannot hinder the work that the Lord wants to do now. Traditions are good. Brings families together. You know, it's a good thing. But traditions can never hinder what God wants to do. And when they do, then that tradition has become an idol. Because you prefer, you are lifting that up higher than the wishes of the Lord. Mark 2, 22 says this. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. In Jesus' day, they usually didn't put fluids in, like, bottles. You know, especially, you know, for traveling and all that stuff. They didn't use bottles too much. They used skins, animal skins. They would take a goat, cut the feet off, cut the head off, skin it. It's pretty gross, right? Then they would, they would open it up, like, so they would gut everything out. Everybody's like, ooh, Hey. Then they would cure it in a way, like they would dry it out, cure it in a way that it would minimize all the unpleasant flavors that it could add. Then they would take it, put it back together, and sew it so tightly that it would be waterproof. Now, what happens is this. After they would do it, the problem with the older wineskins is that older wineskins, after some time, after you make them, after a while, the wineskin gets hard and brittle. Right? It's it hard and brittle. Because after a while, I mean, it just hardens up so much. And so where the problem will come into place is that when they would put new wine into old wineskins, new wine is still fermenting. And what fermenting wine does, it releases gases. And so if you put old wine into a hard and brittle wineskin, then when the gases begin to expand, the wineskin does not. And so it bursts. Now you've broken the wineskin and you've lost your wine. When you put new wine into new wineskin, the skin is still flexible. And as the process of fermentation is happening and the wine is releasing its gases, the flexibility of the wineskin 
allows it to remain whole. If God is going to do a new thing, if he's going to do a new thing in your life, if he's going to do a new thing in your church, he needs flexible skins. Flexible skins that he can pour his wine into. Are you willing to let God do what he wants to do? Can you guys stand with me this morning? Church, I'm telling you, I know change is not easy because I strongly dislike change. I like to be in control. I like to know what I'm getting into. I like to know how it's going to end, how it's going to start, who's going to be there, how they're going to do, who's going to do what. I, I, I'm guilty. I am guilty. Pray for me. Pray for me. But I know that God wants to do a new thing. I know he wants to change us. Many of us are struggling with some personal things that God has been wanting to change for so long. God wants to change you. Are you going to be flexible? Are you going to be the flexible skin that he can do a new thing in? You know, we talked about change and how change is constant, how change is everywhere, how change, we can't stop it. Listen, just imagine that everything changes except God and his word. God never changes. What he may do is change the way some things are, are done to reach the gospel, but the gospel doesn't change. His word doesn't change. And when people begin to change the word of God, then there's a problem there. And we need to be alert because a lot of that is happening in these days. There's things that God wants to change in your life. There's things that he wants to change even within our church. I don't know. But I do know he wants to do it. I do know something. I do know he wants to do something. God doesn't want us to be comfortable, to get complacent, to get lazy. He wants to do a new thing. Are you going to allow him to use you? Are you going to be an agent of change? Or are you going to keep resisting what God wants to do in your life or in our family? So I want to pray with you guys this morning. As I'm praying, um, I, I want you guys to just please take a step forward because there's so many of us that need God to change things in our lives anyway, and we want to pray with you. I have the prayer team. If you guys could please make your way up. I want, I want you just to be ready because... I know, I know that we all struggle with change. I know it. And God wants to change some things today in your life. 
He wants to change some things in your life today. As I'm praying, the altar is open, and I invite you to join us in the altar so that we can pray with you. Father God, right now, we just come before you, Lord. Father, the altar is open, Lord, and right now, Lord, you are tugging at the hearts of several people that are sitting here, standing here today. You are reminding them, Lord, that you have been trying to change some things in their lives for such a long time already. And that they are being reminded today, today is the day. Don't leave here without submitting to the change that God wants to do in your life. Change my heart, Lord. Help me love others the way you love others. Change my eyes, Lord. Help me see what you see. Change my mind, Lord. That my thoughts be your thoughts. Change me today. In Jesus' name.